Welcome to Cartridge Command, your weekly retro gaming podcast where we discuss and review the classic and not-so-classic games of the 8 and 16-bit era. I'm Nick. And I'm Eric. And this week's game is The Legend of Zelda. The Legend of Zelda was released for the Famicom Disk System in Japan, February 21st, 1986, and on the Nintendo Entertainment System in North America in a cartridge on August 1987. It was a great, both great days in both nations' histories. So a little over a year later. Right, right. I guess that's time oh. for localization and the swap to cartridge. Right, right. Now those poor, poor PAL territories. Oh, no. Uh, they did not receive this until, oh, just kidding. It was November of 87, so not much longer. Oh, okay, nice. Same year. Cool. Now, this game was designed and directed by the man, Shigeru Miyamoto. At his best here, man. You know, I think I'm going to agree. Now, it was also uh, directed by Takeshi Tezuka, and uh, this was the launch game for the Famicom Disk System. Oh, okay, well, opening with a bang, man. Super Mario Brothers was supposed to be the swan song of the cartridge and really show everything a cartridge game could do. Okay. And in turn, I think this was Nintendo's uh, way of saying this is everything a disc could do. Right. Well, yeah, because they didn't, did they have save batteries in Japan? It was all, those were all disc system, right? Yeah. And so this game did use the save feature as just recording to its own disc. Mm. This game was developed at the same time as Super Mario Brothers. Right, right. And I guess they had a lot of um, ideas that could have been in either game, but they walled them off. So certain concepts would go straight to Mario and others would go only to Zelda. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I remember reading about that as well. Uh, and I mean, it really comes through, I think, because I can't imagine playing Zelda in an arcade, but I can Mario. You know what I mean? Like, it's like Mario was kind of like the, the beginning in a way, but, you know, platforming perfection. But this was something totally different, like a well, new kind of a new type of game. It's really funny you say that because I read that uh, Miyamoto has stated that he wanted to get away from high scores in games. Oh, OK. And this was his way of doing so. This was a game that was not about the score at all. It was only about finishing it. Right. This might be the first game I remember playing with no score at all. Right. Now, very loosely, this game is inspired by Miyamoto's childhood, uh, growing up exploring the Kyoto region of Japan. I think that comes through. Um, I uh, I grew up in what I would consider a kind of a sub-rural area, kind mm -hmm. of. You know, out lots of farms. You know, you had neighbors, but not, not like in a, a true suburban place. So it really struck a chord with me because each of the screens felt like a yard, like someone's yard, and you were going around a different, like, I don't know. It, it, I was into it because I, I liked wandering around the, my weird neighborhood and just seeing what was up. Yeah, and that's what, you know, he tried to convey was his love of uh, exploring and finding new forests or lakes or caves in the region. Yeah, nailed it. Now, this game is also known for its amazing music, and it was all composed by the famous Koji Kondo. Yeah, and um, this is probably my favorite of his work, and I believe it was kind of thrown together, like, at the last minute because they were trying to use, what, Bolero? Yeah, Ravel's Bolero, and I guess the recordings were still copywritten at the time. So, yeah. therefore, at the last minute, he had to throw together most of the soundtrack. Nailed it in the clutch, man. This is, this is great stuff. Yeah, according to uh, Legend, 
the overworld theme was written in one day. Well, what a great day. One thing to note is that there are some differences between the U.S. and the Japanese version, um, mainly due to the disc system format. Oh, yeah. It had more sound channels. Yeah. So the sound effects are different on the Japanese version. And I guess certain creatures uh, roar or have noises that they don't even make in the North American version. Okay. The North American version uh, was was maybe not the first, but one of the first games to use a memory controller chip. Okay. The memory controller chip allowed them to fit all of that information on a cart instead of on the disc. Okay, okay. And also, I mean, this was in America a gold cartridge. Yeah, it was the one, man. Yeah, and that really stood out. The packaging had a window in it so you could see the gold cartridge. Yeah, yeah. And it was a game that stuck out at every one of your friend's houses. Oh, yeah. And then one other fun note is that uh, if you had gotten the warranty card with this game and mailed it back, Nintendo used that information, and that is how they seeded the Nintendo Fun Club. Oh, really? Okay. And then from the Nintendo Fun Club begat the Nintendo Power Magazine. I see. Man, should have filled out that warranty, man. Me too, because apparently you <laughs> oh. got uh, a bunch of letters, you got tips and tricks and things like that. So I had heard of the Nintendo Fun Club, like in between rounds on Punch-Out and various things, but I had no idea how to get in on that. Like, I want it in. I love Nintendo. I'm like, I want to be in the club. Turns out all you had to do was mail in that warranty card. Gosh. Well, Cartridge Commandos, you asked for it, and you got it. This is going to be a two-part episode. Double deuce. You know, Zelda is such an amazing game and so near and dear to our hearts, there's no way we could do it justice in one episode. Now, if any game deserves more than one, it would be The Legend of Zelda. And uh, since we are doing it as a split episode, we thought we would play with the format a little bit and do a few things out of order. So don't be alarmed, but right now we're going straight into our personal histories with the game. So, Nick, what was your personal history with wow. Zelda? <laughs> well, okay, um, this is the first non-Mario, Super Mario Duck Hunt game that I, I was able to um, own as a, as a kid. Same here, it was my third Nintendo game, Mario being my first, Duck Hunt being the second I purchased in the store. Oof. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> and then third, and finally, was Zelda. Third time's the charm. Uh, I still remember getting it. It was uh, very unexpected. It wasn't for a birthday or anything. Um, I remember... Uh, going, you know, it was with my parents, uh, you know, we had moved and we were back where we moved from kind of visiting some of their friends. And I really don't remember much from the day, but I must've behaved well for once. And, you know, on the way home, we stopped by, you know, I remember asking like, can we go to that Toys R Us? I, I think they have Nintendo games. And they were like, yeah, okay. And I like, I couldn't believe it, man. I was walking on eggshells for the rest of the time. Like, don't screw this up. Yeah, I can I can believe it. Now, I remember seeing this gold box in the store. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it was highly coveted. You know, the lure of it was undeniable. Yeah. I, yeah. I knew I wanted this to be my next game. I was I was a little uncertain. Um, I had seen co- the TV commercials for this with, you know, the guy in the dungeon, you know, levers, tactites, like doing weird stuff. And I didn't really understand what it was all about. Right. I got there and time was running out and I had narrowed it down to this or Castlevania. So I kind of, you know, either choice would have been great, but I went with the gold cartridge, man, and I never regretted it. Yeah, and pretty similar story for me. This game was also bizarrely not a Christmas present. It was its own mystery thing. Those early days of having a Nintendo when your parents didn't really understand. <laughs> when should we buy games for this, you know? Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, for me, the first like month or so of playing this game was on a I think a 14-inch black-and-white TV. Oh, okay. Uh, that's where the Nintendo lived. Yeah, yeah. 
And, you know, it was this game that I finally, I used it to convince my mother to let me hook the Nintendo up to the main TV. Oh, okay, You know, nice. I said, I, I got to know what color these creatures are. And, That's true. And these it's other true. things. And, you know, she, she took pity on me. And, uh, you know, I got to hook it up to the, the whoppingly large, probably, what, 25-inch, maybe 30-inch uh, TV. Like floor model or? Uh, no, it oh. was not on the floor. So it was uh, slightly, slightly past that. Right on. I mean, for me, and I think for you, this game was a mainstay of my my playing for years. Yeah, yeah. It, it it never got old, man. No. You know, just being able to explore and search, you know, I didn't even know where half the stuff was or even half the levels were the first year I owned this game. No, yeah. Um, this also was so early in my Nintendo days, it was pre-Nintendo power. Yeah. So I didn't have the ability to just see where things are. Or... No. When I first bought this game, I didn't even understand how some of the mechanics, if it worked. Yeah, it, it was uh, it was very different from anything I'd ever played before. So it was, uh, you know, it was kind of challenging but fun to wrap your mind around. So, yeah, I mean, I I did beat this game uh, as a child, but it was many years after I had first owned it. It took a while, yeah. And since then, I have gone back to this game many times throughout the years. Yeah, yeah, it's a fun one to just pick up and just play around. You can I mean, if you know what you're doing, you can beat it pretty quickly, so it, it doesn't take a, a long time to just breeze through. And it's one of those games that the map and the gameplay is just so burnt deep into the cortex that I don't even have to think. I just do. I can I can go around to where I want. I can just goof. I'm and, so familiar with the, you know, especially the overworld geography of Hyrule and this, I'm, you know, it is, it is well committed to memory. Yeah, because, you know, I owned this on Nintendo. And then I rebought it for the Game Boy Advance. Right. I got it on a special edition disc for the GameCube. Nice. I purchased it as a uh, virtual console game on the Wii. Right. It's a good, man, it still sells after all these years. I have a 3D version of it on my 3DS. <laughs> I mean, I have bought this game at least four or five times now. And I'm sure I will buy it at least one more in the future. Right. And I mean, to speak for its uh, staying power, I remember the... Um, you know, in Nintendo Power, they had the monthly game rankings, or bi-monthly, whatever. But, uh, you know, the only time Nintendo, or The Legend of Zelda, wasn't in the top ten was when they briefly had the Nintendo and Super Nintendo on the same chart. Yeah. Like, it, do- it, it dipped out for like a month or two. And then it was back, like, years and years after it came out. Everyone loved it. Yeah. You just, you can't go wrong. So, Nick, what was your more recent experience with The Legend of Zelda? Um, I beat this game three times in uh, four sittings, actually. Wow, I'm a little jealous. <laughs> uh, I did not beat it four times. I just beat it the one time. Okay. But um, I played it very, you know, off and on the past week. Okay, okay. I actually played and beat the Game Boy Advance version. Okay, it's, and I mean, that's just the same, right? Is there any... The only difference is, is they have fixed the spelling errors, as far as I uh, know. Fair enough. And... Uh, I just find being able to play it in a portable system uh, very handy, you know, oh, sure. while I'm uh, at judo, you know, with my <laughs> kids or waiting for someone to get out of school. Why not run around and burn some bushes, yeah, grab yeah. a couple hundred coins or, you know, that kind of thing. Stocking up. Yeah, I um, I kind of, when I beat this uh, the first time, I was just going through it again. It's been, you know, a couple years and then, you know, I, I kind of timed myself and that was around two hours, 45 minutes. So the next time I was like, I'm gonna, I think I can do better. Got it down to slightly over two hours. And then the final time I played it, I kind of made these uh, self-inflicted kind of rules to hold me back a little, to try mm-hmm. to, you know, sort of uh, synthesize, you know, like not knowing what I was doing. Right. 
Well, I think uh, it's safe to say that you and I, for many years, would kind of break the beginning of the game and do a lot of things out of order. Yeah, yeah. So I, too, went back and I tried not to get myself too buff too fast. Uh, I did want to experience all of the levels at a pretty reasonable um, number of hearts and, and at your weapon strength. Sure. What you could expect the average player to do or to find. Yeah, yeah. Well, now we move into the gameplay portion of the podcast. And I always like to ask Nick. Yeah, ask me. What kind of game is this, Nick? It's a really good one. But if I had to describe it further, I would say it's uh, it's an overhead action RPG. Kind of yeah. exploration-based, more so than many games. Yeah. Um, one thing that I think that sets this game apart in its time period is that it is essentially a overhead game. Yes. But yeah. the way the sprites are drawn and these, the backgrounds and all of the stuff in the levels, it creates a third-person viewing experience. Yeah, that kind of tilted slightly. Even though all the mechanics are just overhead. Right. But in this game, you are not Zelda. No, that's a, a common uh, misconception. All the old people in my life were very confused by that. I was as well. I, I still remember... Um, you know, playing around with the game a little bit. And then um, I put Zelda as my name, which if you don't know, that will put you on the second quest. And then it blew my mind because I was like, this map is different than the other one. Like, I don't understand. Is something wrong? <laughs> well, in this game, you are Link, the the hero of the story. Yep. And you uh, you cannot jump. No, it's uh, no jumping here. You uh, know, we usually talk about the jump, but this game has zero jump. No, no, no jumps. You do have a sword, though. Maybe. Yes. Yeah, if you play your cards right. You get that sword, and the sword is really your main attack of the game. It yeah. is a very short, close-range attack. Yeah, it's about one sprite. You know, you can affect any of the, you know, the Square immediate sprites adjacent to you, so to speak. Yeah. And, um, and the sword, <laughs> if you have full health, will shoot a beam. And that's what allows you to extend your range beyond one tile away early yeah. in the game. Full screen, uh, your little, it's like a glowing sword shoots out. Um, and the sword is always mapped to your A button. Mm -hmm. So it's always going to be one of your two options of, you know, input, so to speak. Now, Link is also equipped with a shield. Yeah, you have a, a little shield that can block, I think, just arrows and rocks early yeah. on. And that activates when you are not moving. Yes. Or attacking. Yeah, so there's a little bit of, uh, you know, stop and hold still, block something, then move. Timing uh, makes the combat pretty interesting. It does. Now, another thing that makes Zelda so unique for its time frame is that it had, um, what I'll put in air quotes, a persistent world. Yes. It had a very large map that was pretty unrestricted from the beginning of the game. Very much so. Um, I mean... In theory, if you can make it past some of the really tough enemies, you can get just about anywhere if, uh, in on the map. Yeah, this is a game that is based on exploring as much as it is fighting. Yes. And the gameplay consists of, you know, traversing over the overhead map. Yeah, screen by screen. And then fighting enemies there and gathering resources to then descend into hidden dungeons also across this map. Yes, whose locations are, you know... Uh, also, you know, you don't know where they are at the beginning. No. And in these dungeons, you go in them to find these treasures and to fight bosses that are guarding a piece of the Triforce. Yes. The Triforce. Is this courage? I think it's wisdom. Or wisdom. Okay. According to what I read. So in short, the entire purpose of this game is to find eight pieces of the Triforce 
use them as a key to find Ganon and defeat him to save the Princess Zelda. Yes, and you, I mean, you collect tons of items along the way, and, um, you know, some of which you equip, some of which you don't, they just function for you. I think that's a perfect time to talk about some of these items, Nick. Let's get into it. And um, I think we should tackle them in the order you see them in the attract mode for this game. Yeah. When the game starts up, if you do not hit start, you see a wonderful little story. Mm Mm-hmm. And a list of all the items in the game. It's very tantalizing when you're a small child. Well, I don't remember seeing any game with this number of items, which was a, has always been a big draw for me. Agreed. And I will also say that the music that plays during this portion mm-hmm. has been my go-to pump-up music in my own mind <laughs> Okay. since I was a child. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. When <sighs> the beat comes in, you know, to me, I've said this about a many songs through my life. But if I had to pick just one to lead me into battle this would be the on one. the back of a steed, <laughs> that would be it. Right on. So, first on the list is the Lowly Heart. Yeah, but it's a very um, important item. Uh, you start with, you know, your life is measured in hearts, and you start with three. Yeah, you have three heart containers. And if you find a heart, usually dropped by an enemy, it will refill one unit of that health. Yes, which is usually about one hit, but sometimes enemies will hit you and it'll only take away half a heart. Especially if they're weak. Later in the game. Yeah, yeah. Now, going along with the heart is the heart container. And you find those, you know, hidden, quote unquote, around the map. Yeah, there are five hidden ones and there's one at the end of each of the eight dungeons. Yeah, you get it when defeating the boss. Yes. Now, so... the heart container does not refill any hearts. No, it just extends your life meter by one heart. Which is nice, though, because it gives you more overall health. Oh, it's so important. Now, another one of the healing or heart-based items I would consider is the fairy. Yes, this is a... I mean, the fairy will refill... It's not your full life bar. It's like, what, like seven or eight hearts worth? Or? I don't even think it's that much. Is it like six, maybe? or I thought it was like four or five, but ah, I you mean, know, it's hard to say. Yeah, you, I mean, they'll appear uh, when you kill an enemy, and then if you can grab them, um, you know, they, they fill up a, a, a respectable chunk of your life, which is very important. And certain, if you see them in dungeons or certain areas, like... Lifesavers. Yes, yes. And if you don't grab them right away, they will run off the field. Yeah, they, they do kind of avoid you, too. They fly around in a little randomy pattern, or, you know, so you want to get them while you can. Now, in the overhead portions of the game, in the world map, you will find what we call fairy fountains. Yeah, there's, there's just two, right? There are great fairy lives, and the great fairy will fill up all of your health. Yes. So that is a great place to stop off before you're going to be going to any dungeons. Oh, sure. It's Things a, like that. Yeah, those are two areas that I very early was like, remember where these are? I'm... I'm you know, building my map out from here so I can know where to go back. Yes. Another thing that will help you out in the dungeons is the clock. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, you can see it in the overworld as well, but it'll just, when sometimes you kill a monster and the magic clock appears, you grab it and it'll freeze all of the enemies on the screen. Yeah. And then oddly enough, some enemies that uh, disappear, reappear, such as the pea hat, they will yeah. still disappear and reappear, but they are frozen in their spot. Yeah. So that you can still destroy them. You just have to wait near where they had disappeared. They will return. Oh, okay. Yeah, I never mess with P-Hats, so. Why not? They, they're worth, they always have great stuff they drop. Bad. Take too long, man. Kill them all. <laughs> and uh, after the clock, we have the money of the Zelda series, the rupee. Yeah, um, it is listed as a ruby in the manual. Okay. Which doesn't, 
I mean, whatever. <laughs> Ruby, well, rupees. Uh... It's spelled rupee with a Y in the video game. Yeah, yeah. Which so it's is, still a weird thing. It is a strange thing because, you know, rupees are a currency used in India, I believe. Uh-huh. So I don't know where that came from. And the sprite for it actually comes from Clue Clue Land. If you've ever seen where you uncover the thing, then it's just, it's a rupee right there. Exact same. Well, a lot of sprites in this game come from other Nintendo games. If you notice the dungeons, any brick patterns, those are straight out of Mario. Oh, sure. So, And there's even some sound effects that are shared between a few of these games as well. I believe it. Now, the rupee is a flashing orange and blue diamond-looking gem. Yes, and uh, you know you can get the yellow ones, are, they're worth one, and the blue ones are worth five. And then they are dropped from enemies. But there are also uh, large amounts of rupees that are hidden throughout the world. So many. Um, Lots of uh, trees you can burn or hidden caves that you uncover by bombing rocks. Or Um, burning, uh, you know, bushes. Yeah, and um, you can get anywhere from 10 to 30 to 100 free coins just right there just for finding it. Yeah, in fact, you know, as I got older, the majority of the money I spent was from free found coins, not from grinding and killing enemies. Yeah, I mean, I, I did a lot of that back in the day, but once I had figured out where all the, the coins, I'm like, there's a, there's enough free money to afford pretty much everything in the game. Yeah, you just have to know where to look. Now, following that, you will have the life potions. There is the blue life potion, and that is the first item we're talking about that you have to purchase. Yeah, um, and I mean, before you can purchase it, you have to find a letter. Yeah, yeah, we'll get to that here in a second. I, I am going in that order from the screen, so things are a little little wacky. Oh, right, right. But, uh, you know, the blue potion costs 40 rupees, mm-hmm. and it refills all of your life. Yes. Which is pretty awesome. Oh, yeah. Super handy in some hard dungeons. But better than that blue potion, and for only a few rupees more at 68, is the red potion. Yeah, and that'll refill your life essentially twice. Once you use it once, it turns into a blue potion, and then you get a second use. Yeah, when I was a child, I never bought any of the potions because I just never had uh, found enough of the free monies. I was always scraping by with the money I was saving from killing enemies. So therefore, I couldn't splurge. And, you know, once I realized that I could easily afford those potions, you know, the later dungeons became so much easier. They're a huge help because, I mean, unless you find them, there's not any fairies or anything in those dungeons. So you're not getting your life back if, if you don't have it. No. Now, as Nick said, to be able to purchase either of these potions, you must first find a letter. Yeah, the letter to the little old lady. And it is in the upper right portion of the map. We'll say northeast. And I will say that as a child, I always thought that the letter looked like a baby wrapped in like a (laughs) swaddling Okay, okay, yeah, I can see that. And then once I saw that, like I could never unsee it. Like it to me was always getting the baby. I don't know. I don't know why that superseded you know the, even the text <laughs> of what it was. But uh, it's one of the few things in this game that I saw wrong that I will never stop seeing wrong. You can't unsee it now. I'll tell you when we get to the next couple. But you know the letter. You find it. You take it to the old woman, and she is you know right across the river to the left of where you start. Yeah. Although there are a ton of them hidden throughout the areas as well. Yes, and then you can purchase your. Uh, potions from any of them around the map. Yep. Now, another um, odd thing you can purchase that is also just a one or two time use item is the food, sometimes known as the bait. Yeah. It uh, looks like a little hunk of meat on a bone. And it is either 60 rupees or 100, depending on where you buy it. Mm. So, 
Hmm. No, I just uh, I was paying a hundred the last time I played. Oh, I guess you need to find that sixty spot. I, well, yeah. Now this is really only used in dungeons to make one specific uh, moblin go away. Yeah. Um. In theory, you can put it down and it attracts the monsters, but I've never noticed that or had. I'm, I'm not going to waste my sixty or hundred rupees to experiment on these easy monsters, anyways. Agreed. I don't. I don't know what that. If that works at all. I do know that when you encounter a uh, moblin that says grumble, grumble, that means he's hungry and wants some of that meat. Yeah. Now, more excitingly, mm-hmm. next up is the sword. The sword, man. And this, this is just... your real, this is this is how you express yourself. Now, this is the starter sword. You know, when you start the game, you are on a screen with an exit to the left, the right, and the top. Mm-hmm. But there's also a cave yeah. Just begging to be entered. You gotta go in there, man. And you do, because when you go in that cave, you find an old man. And, you know, this is the trope, the classic old man in a cave. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's become the stereotype of how a RPG action game starts off. Sure, and because this is where you get your first weapon, a wooden sword. And as we all know, he tells you that... It's dangerous to go alone. Take this. It is very dangerous. And uh, the sword he gives you, it is... Uh, it's either what wooden or rusty. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I'd always seen it as wood. Because... You know, that's what everyone always said to me, but I always thought it was rusty at the beginning, and I just swept that away. But <laughs> I'm going back to it because that makes way more sense than a wooden sword. Hey, man, if you'd ever read Game of Thrones, Cereal Pharrell could tell you what a wooden sword could do. Oh, deep cuts there. <laughs> okay. Unlike many of the future Zelda games, this starter sword, the most basic one, shoots a beam. Yeah, as long as your life is full. Yeah, and that is no matter how little or how much maximum life you have. If you only have four hearts and all four are filled, you shoot the beam. If you have ten hearts and all ten are filled, you shoot the beam. Yep. But there is another. Yes, a second sword. A white sword. Yes. And it is called the white sword. Yeah, and I mean, it's white, so (laughs) makes sense, I guess. Now, this sword does twice the damage that the starter sword does. Yeah, it's the same... Functions exactly the same way, just stronger. But you do need to have five hearts. Is it five? Okay. Or you cannot get the sword. Mm-hmm. It will not be given to you by another old man. No, if you get there ahead of time, they give you a message where he'll say, Master using it, and you can have this. Yes. And uh, this sword is, you know, in a waterfall cave in the northern portion of the map. Yeah, or it's like above the waterfall. It is, but... it is above, and it is being guarded by like a lionel. Yeah, one of the earlier ones you'll see if you're in the areas you're supposed to be. It's a blue one, and they're really the toughest monsters on the overworld, so you want to watch out, because they're shooting sword beams at you. Yeah, but that is not the final sword you can get. No, no. There is one more. Oh, yeah. It's not the master sword. No, it's the magic sword. Which is a point of contention, I guess, among uh, Zelda aficionados. Oh, yeah. Is this the master sword, or is this a different sword? Uh, well, I mean... Hardcore know. people say that this is a different sword. And well, that the it does look a sword, lot different, but... Yeah, well, they say the Master Sword is right now sitting in that forest grove, waiting to be picked up by one of the links in the uh, Link to the Past or okay. its sequel. Yeah, maybe. I mean, again, this is way before there was the idea of a Master Sword or like a, a kind of, um, you know, it didn't have like its own look. No, it is uh, just a sword, but it is drawn a little fancier than yeah, the others. Kind of at an angle. 
at an angle. Now, this sword does four times the damage of your starter sword. And you're going to need it at the end of this game. And uh, if you can get it a little early, man, it lets you just cut through things like there's no tomorrow. Now, you find this sword in the graveyard. Yeah. An old man gives it to you there. A lot of old men hanging out with swords in this game. Yeah, we got old men, old women, and merchants. Now, to go along with that magic sword, the next item is the magic shield. It's a very important uh, upgrade for your normal shield. It's much bigger, and um, it can now block fireballs that, you know, like Zola's shoot. Mm -hmm. And this item uh, is also available for purchase, and you can find it at various prices all over the map. Yeah, I think the cheapest is 90. 90, uh, and then not so cheap at 130, and then even worse at 160. Yeah. Almost double. Yeah, and... uh... So shop around, folks. It really pays off. Find them deals. You know, scan it, uh, look for it on Amazon, and then just order it there. (laughs) Now, uh, the Magic Shield does have one drawback, and that is that it can be eaten Oh, yes. By one of the characters in the game in the dungeons. We'll get to. They are known as like-likes. And they're one of the worst enemies ever. They are. So when you do have that shield, you do need to be careful in the dungeons. Now, the next item is my favorite in the game. And that is the boomerang. Yes, the boomerang is great. Yeah, you find it in uh, the first level. It's a great item. Uh, The only item you can shoot in eight directions. Not only does it shoot in eight directions... No matter where you have thrown it, it will return to you. Yeah, it'll arc and change its path as you move while it's returning. So you can do some pretty cool, tricky stuff with it. And the more you play this game and the better you get at it, you will be able to throw this boomerang anywhere you want and have it hit anything you want on the way back. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, we should say it it stuns enemies that it hits. Yes. So that's its main use. Or some weaker guys like bats, it will or outright... Or slimes. Yeah, or it'll outright kill them. Or what I find is probably its most useful uh, attribute is that it can pick up any treasures mm-hmm. that have been dropped that are either out of your way or in an area that is uh, non-accessible, like in a mountain yeah. or on the other side of a series of blocks. Yeah, or like inside trees or anywhere you, you can't actually walk, but you can still get your treasure. I just think that the boomerang is, to me, the most satisfying item in possibly all of NES history. It really baffles me that there this is not the only game to feature a boomerang as a weapon or an item. And, like, no other game ever came close or even just stole or mimicked this uh, mechanic, you know? Like, you could build a whole game around this. Yeah, so you're saying that you're surprised you never saw this again. Yeah, I really, you know, and I, I saw a lot of boomerangs and they all fell short. Well, you know what boomerang doesn't fall short, Nick? Um, uh, enlighten me. It's the magic boomerang. Oh. And that is the follow-up to the boomerang. Uh, in fact, such a follow-up, you get it in the next dungeon, in the second <laughs> dungeon. Yeah, it's it's a pretty early on game, which uh, it goes a full screen. The previous one only goes like a half screen. And that is really the only difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, I don't know if you call it physics, but that boomerang has the best movement of any weapon I've ever used in a Nintendo game. It's so fun to just blast one off across the whole screen, and then you can, by moving up and down, like arc it back through three or four bats, and you feel so cool. You're like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it, it makes you feel cool, and it just looks darn cool. Agreed. Now, maybe not as cool, but just as useful, is the next item, the bomb. You're going to use a lot of bombs here. Uh, it's a, It's one of your exploring tools, as well as a weapon. Yeah, so you start with eight, or I'm sorry, you can hold eight 
when you mm-hmm. start. You start with zero. Yes. And you can purchase them for $20. Yeah, or find them. Or rupees, as it actually is in the game. <laughs> right. <laughs> or as, as you were going to say. Yeah, you can find them. Um, enemies, some enemies will drop these semi-frequently. So from what I've read, it is the blue enemies that are more often will drop the bombs. Right. Well, I've seen uh, definitely blue Octoroks and the Moblins are the two that uh, I've noticed it the most. And as you said, these are used to explore, not just to attack. Yeah, you can uh, blow up uh, rock squares on the mountains, you know. Um, well, even on the coastlines. And that's where you're going to find yeah. a couple heart containers, some hidden uh, monies, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But they can also be used to explore in the dungeons. Yeah, sometimes there will be um, hidden like bomb doors you can blow open a hole in a wall to go through to another area they are shortcuts and uh, sometimes they are just ways into secret rooms that don't even appear on the map yeah another early item you get in the game this is also a dungeon one item Mm -hmm. is the bow yeah you get a it's a standard bow um you you can't use it right away because you don't have an arrow no um now if you were smart enough to get your arrows beforehand they will work with it now. Yes. So we should, I guess, talk about the next item, which is the arrow. Yeah. Um, you can buy it. I think there's just one place for yeah. 80. 80 rupees. And then once you have purchased the arrow slot, the ammo that you use for your arrows is actually your rupee count. Yeah. Every time, every shot will cost you a rupee, which is not too bad. Um, the bow is a nice alternative. If you're, you don't have your sword beam, you can shoot you know, full screen. It's not, I don't, I think it's just the same strength as the wooden sword. I think so. I haven't really messed with it much, but I know I avoided it early on when I would play because I was like, I'm not throwing away my money like that. But now it's like, who cares? <laughs> yeah. And there are a few enemies that are definitely weaker to yes. the arrow and yes. it, it really helps with them. It also will pick up items you shoot with it. Yeah. Like the boomerang. Only, you know, if you're shooting a rupee to get a rupee, doesn't <laughs> really matter. It pays for itself, man. I guess so. <laughs> Now, there is one other arrow you can get in this game, and that is the silver arrow. It is in the ninth dungeon. Yeah, at the very tail end of the game. And, you know, it's only needed to defeat Ganon. Right, and that's one thing I'm like, you know, you don't get it till the very end, so I've never tried fighting normal monsters with it to see any real strength or power difference. Yeah, neither have I. So, so yeah. That is something to check out. Now, this, uh, without getting too spoilery, this does make an appearance in future Zeldas, mm-hmm. sometimes being wielded by Link himself, and in some by Princess Zelda. Oh, sure, yeah. So after that silver arrow, we now have the blue candle. Yeah, this is... Uh, also purchasable. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 60 rupees. Yeah, and very close to the startup area, or the start area as well. Um, it'll be one of your... With the bombs, it's a primary method of exploration. Yes, because the candle can light up rooms and dungeons, but more importantly, I think, it is used to reveal secret areas in the overhead map by burning bushes. Yeah, and that can be very overwhelming at first because you can be like, there's a million bushes, but when you actually look at the ones you can actually walk up to or uh, use the flame on, it's not as many as you might think. Now, the blue candle can only be used once per screen. Yeah, that's a real kind of downside of it, especially early on when you're like, okay, I'm going to burn these five bushes and I'm going to do one, leave the screen, come back, do the second one, leave the screen, come back. 
Yes, but it should be noted that you can actually use that fire on two spaces at once. Yeah. So if you burn it and you can get it to go over two sprites overlapping, you know, hitting the middle of each. Yeah. Then it will burn both of them. Yeah, and you can do that with the bomb as well, right? Stagger it. Well, the bomb, if wherever you place it, it explodes right where it was. And mm-hmm. then one explosion to the left, one to the right of that, and oh, then really? one forward of it. Okay. So it's actually a three, three wide spread. Mm. Even easier to find your target. Sure. And the, the candle also hurts enemies. It does. Now, and, and yourself, if yes, you run into the flame. <laughs> that was what I was going to say, is that you can also easily run right into that flame you threw out and hurt yourself. That usually happens in dungeons when you're trying to light the room. Yeah. Now, the follow-up to the blue candle is the red candle. Which is pretty much identical, except you can use it an infinite number of times on one screen, so, which makes it a lot easier to go burning down f- trees. Yes. Sadly, you don't get it until the seventh dungeon. <laughs> yeah. Now, keeping with the color theme, next up we have the blue ring. Yes, uh, a very important item. Um, it reduces... And very the, expensive item. The most expensive. It's clocking in at 250 rupees. Yes, but worth it. Oh, yeah, because it will have the damage you take. Yeah, and turn you white. Yes. I um, mean, Link has seen that will turn you white. <laughs> and it is this ring. Yeah, I... Uh, I remember um, this is a game my, my parents played as well. And one day I woke up and saw that their man had turned white. And I was convinced that something was wrong with the game. So I erased their guy before it infected mine. And they were not happy with me. <laughs> man, I I could only imagine if one of my children did the same thing. They're, I'm surprised I didn't get grounded or something. <laughs> yeah, at least, you know, you were doing it for the right reasons. Kind of, I guess. <laughs> now, uh... The follow-up to the blue ring is the red ring. And, again, very late in the game. Yeah, another level 9 special. But it makes you uh, take one-fourth of the damage you would normally take. Yes, which is a big help in the huge, huge last dungeon. Oh, yes it is. Both huge and a very great help. (laughs) Now, that red ring also gives you a red outfit. Yeah, I always called him Devil Link. Oh, okay. Uh, I thought he looked... Evilish. Fair enough. <laughs> it is odd to see Link red, though, because it's very, you know, spends such little time in this game in that costume. Oh, yeah. You know, in the middle, of, it's in the last dungeon, so you're, you're only going to get it for a little bit. And then, oddly enough, also in the last few years I played, uh, the majority of time, Link is white in my game. Right. <laughs> because I get that power ring fairly early on. Sure. Now, along uh, the lines of the various types of jewelry that Link likes to wear, <laughs> he also is fond of the power bracelet. Yeah, the power bracelet, uh, it's a pretty cool item. Um, you just find it out in the overworld, and it lets you push certain blocks. Certain large rocks. Which, I mean, you, you've already been pushing blocks. By the time you get this, you've been pushing blocks around in the dungeons, but these are in the overworld, and they're all... A little pattern, like a diamond pattern of four. Right near a fairy fountain, usually. Yeah, yeah. And uh, then you you're, you can push those to reveal this like kind of underground secret passageways. It's a form of fast travel. Yeah. Although, honestly, I barely used it uh, the last times I played through, because by the time I needed to move across the map, I was like, I had the whistle. Yeah. So Well, <laughs> next up, let's talk about the recorder. Yeah. Or as Nick calls it, the whistle. <laughs> now, if you... uh. Took music class in the third grade. 
you're familiar with the recorder. Yeah, it's like flute for babies. And uh, as far as Link's concerned, he finds his in the fifth dungeon, and uh, it's barely useful. Yeah, I mean, you'll you'll use it for to reveal... You'll use it about three times. Yeah, I Once mean... Once to realize it warps you between... Is it only completed dungeons? I believe so. Okay, and that is random. Yeah, it goes through... I mean, sometimes it, it seems like it's going in order. It'll go like one, two, three, four. Oh, is it? But uh, not always. I don't know. Oh, I don't okay. know where... <laughs> I and didn't experiment that much with it. Most importantly, it will be used twice in dungeons. Once to get through an area, not unlike the meat and moblin scenario. Mm-hmm. And then once again, because there is a boss yeah. that it must be used on. Evil dig dogger. Yes. And uh, if you don't have it, then I don't know. Can you defeat that boss? I or? don't think so. Okay. I mean, I, I've never done it and I've never really tried, but I don't, I'm pretty sure it's required. Well, more interesting than that recorder is barely the raft. Oh, yeah. The raft. You'll use that twice. Oh, yeah. yeah is there a third? There's a third time. Is there? Okay. I know there's a, the hidden There's a hidden items room and then level four, right? I guess it is just twice. Like, yeah. And but. the raft you find in level three. The raft uh, lets you travel between very specific tiles that are docks. Yeah. And you can travel from one dock to another in the overworld to go across water. Yeah, and it's just a straight line. You cross over. Now, if you're not finding any docks in the game, look for the cellar doors. Because <laughs> that's what I always thought they were as a child. I always thought they just looked like these like metal planks, almost like riveted. You know, it's a weird. It's, they look weird. They don't look like docks. Eh. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> but um, I always thought the next item was kind of like a sister item to the raft, and that is the stepladder. Yeah, the ladder is much more useful. That stepladder. This is not my real ladder. Oh, okay. <laughs> it, I married into it. Um, but the step ladder, you're right. It is way more useful because it lets you step across one tile gaps. And those can be either empty spaces or water. Mm-hmm. So it works quite well in dungeons and in the overworld. But uh, in the overworld, you know, you need it to get, I think, one set of heart containers, maybe two. I think it's just the one, just the one over on the coast. Far right. Yeah. But... More importantly, in dungeons, it offers you a little safe place many times. Oh, yeah. That you can be on that step ladder, and therefore you're not in the path of many of the monsters. It helps a lot with certain rooms where, you know, if there's a little section of whatever it is, underground water, whatever you're on top of, like if you're fighting dark nuts or certain guys, they can't hit you when you're on, if you're not on the path, so to speak. So you can just stand there and stab them as they walk by. Definitely. And in rooms where you're too lazy to bust out your candle, a lot of times that ladder will allow you to trans, you know, <laughs> traverse the room without having to you know, see where you're going. Yeah. Now, much more exciting than the recorder, the raft, the stepladder, any of that locomotion nonsense, <laughs> is the magic rod. Yes, this is uh, probably my favorite item in the game. Okay. Um, it just, you know, you use it, it looks similar, you know, you stick it out in front of you like a sword, but it shoots a little like wave of magic. Yeah. You get this in the sixth dungeon. Yeah. It's not incredibly strong, but you, it's, it doesn't cost you a rupee. I think it's stronger than the bow and you know, you don't, might not have all your hearts, but now you can shoot. So it, it helps a lot. Yeah. It is really awesome because it is a very reliable way once you've gotten it to do your long distance firing. 
Yeah, and I like the way it's, you know, you fight these uh, enemy wizards, wizrobes, and that's what they're shooting. So it kind of goes along with the wizardy theme, so to speak. Now that I realize it, they're shooting a Wi-Fi symbol. That's true. Whoa. Now, to follow up the magic rod, you will find in the 8th dungeon, the Book of Magic. Yeah, and this um, enhances your uh, little wave, your your magic wand thing to where, where it hits, it will now emit a flame similar to the candle candle, and will light up other uh, dungeon rooms or light things on fire. So once you've gotten this combo, now's the time to find all those secret bushes <laughs> because you can just start shooting any bush you want, catching it on fire from any distance. I never really messed around with it for the, the woods. So I haven't, uh, does it just stop when it hits a bow or a, a tree every yes. time? Okay. Whatever the first tree would be, that's the one it hits and then catches on fire. Nice. Now, the Book of Magic I always thought was really interesting because it's not a selectable item. Right. Once you get it, it just augments that rod. Yeah, there's a couple. You know, like the power bracelet or, you know, those things, you don't choose or select them. They just kind of appear in a space above your inventory on your subscreen. Yes. Getting to the dungeon essential items, we have the key. Lots of keys. You're going you're to see a lot of these in the game. Now, you can buy keys. In the overworld for 80 or 100 rupees. They're pretty pricey. But you never should. No, the, the game throws a lot of keys at you. I think every dungeon has enough keys in it to unlock every door. Just about. I think I don't think level 9 does, but, but you it, can get an overage by then. Yes. If you're, you know, especially if you know the level, you can bomb your way around locked doors to hold on to a ton of keys. And keys are found in a wide variety of ways. They are sometimes inside a monster that you must kill. Yeah, you'll see it floating around there. Sometimes they're just sitting in the middle of a room. Mm -hmm. But most often they are the reward for a puzzle that you must solve. Yeah, or just like you kill all the monsters in a room. I consider that a puzzle. Oh, okay. You know, you have to kill all the monsters or move a pillar. That's my kind of puzzle, man. Well, I mean, as you see the Zelda games progress, these puzzles do get more uh, complex. But Mm -hmm. these basic forms... Always remain. Sure. To go along with the key, you get in the eighth level, the infinite or magic key or any key. Yeah, it looks pretty cool. It's got like a little lion head on top of it. Instead of a skeleton key, it's a lion key. (laughs) And this key will open any door. Yes. And will not go away. You can just reuse it over and over again. Which can, you're going to need it in level nine unless yeah. you've been hoarding keys the whole game if you do not have this if you do not get it in level eight level nine will be quite a headache i've uh i remember i played through a few years ago where i forgot about that this item even existed because i had so many keys left over so i was like roaming around level nine looking for the i'm like man there's got to be a key in here i can't find it and it just dawned on me and i felt like such a fool mm. well hopefully you cartridge commandos won't have to feel a fool you'll know where this key is and be able to use it to its fullest extent. Yes, get it. Now, also, in dungeons, you will find maps. One map per dungeon. Every dungeon has a map. Yeah, it's uh, it'll show you in the top left when you collect it. You have a little map. shows you the you know layout of the dungeon. Um, you do also have an auto map on your subscreen as well that will, you know, it'll fill out as you progress through. Which was pretty amazing for the time. I don't know of any other game within the the next year or two or three that that did uh, (laughs) auto-mapping. And they did it pretty well, too. Um, Now, the map is the same sprite as the letter, 
Just different colors. Yeah, it's like the red and orangish. So it also looks like a baby. <laughs> yes, to some. To some. And, uh, you know, the map is probably the most useful of the two dungeon items. Yeah. The less useful is the follow-up, mm-hmm. the compass. Yeah. The compass, uh, it just shows you where the Triforce is. Yeah, it'll have a little blinking dot up in, up in your map if you have it. Which is only semi-useful because... Just because you know where it's at does not mean you know how to get to it. Right. You can, you know, kind of roughly estimate it, you know. Yeah. Unlike future games, this one does not show you any of the treasures in the dungeon or where the item's at. Yeah. It's, I mean. So I would never go out of my way to get this if you don't have to. Yeah. If I find it, nice. But if not, oh well. So, Nick, there is one more item to be found in this game. What's that, Eric? And that is one of the eight pieces of the Triforce of Wisdom. Ah, yes. Now, these pieces are found at the end of each dungeon. Yeah. They're being guarded by the bosses of these dungeons. And uh, when you get a piece of the Triforce, not only will it appear on your subscreen mm-hmm. to fill up that giant triangle, yes, it will refill all of your hearts. Yeah. So you will be back to full life. And it will warp you out of the dungeon you're in. Which is very nice. Very nice. Especially later in the game. Yeah. Now, you need all eight pieces of the Triforce before you can enter the ninth dungeon. Yeah. Uh, If you try to go through it without having them, you'll be turned away in the first room. Right. But old man. That old man. That dude. He gets around. He knows. He knows what you should be up to. And that, my friends, is each and every item in the game. Well, Nick, we may have covered a lot of it so far, but I got to know more about this Legend of Zelda instruction manual. All right. Well, I'm excited to talk about this because this is probably the best instruction manual on the NES. Um, it's And that's not just because it's your favorite game. No, no. I mean, I, I love, I wish I still had this book, but I read it so much. I'm sure it was disintegrated quickly. Um, it's a, uh, but you know, you get a full color gold cover. 44-page manual. That is amazing. It has a lot of uh, really good um, artwork. You have a lot of kind of anime-looking style artwork in there that I was convinced there somewhere. I was like, there's a Zelda cartoon because I've seen um, stills from it in this manual. Yeah. Well, and, you know, the artwork from this manual has a style of Link that didn't get carried on, I don't think, after this. It's really, and I mean, they look like straight-up scenes. You know, they're not just from the game. Like, it looks like it's from a cartoon made about this game. Yes. Uh, if you have ever seen it, Link is very unique. He kind of has a large nose, kind of goofy hair sticking out of his cap. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a very interesting character. Yeah, no, it's really cool. Um, early on, they have, like, kind of the story section, um, which, you know, goes through blah, blah, blah. But there's a cool, like... It looks like it's made of clay, like a diorama of the whole overworld. It's a two-page spread. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's really neat and really faithful. Like, someone really went through and paid very good attention to detail on this map. Well, okay. So what other features does this amazing instruction manual give us? <laughs> well, um, it'll, it gives you kind of a heads up on how to use a, a save battery, which I... This was the first one I encountered, so that was good to know. You know, the classic hold-in reset when turning power off. And then, you know, you have an extensive, uh, you know, how to play the game and, uh, you know, all the, all the items we already talked about, all the weapons and stuff. Right. It goes through, um, you have an overworld and underworld section where it, um, you can see every enemy in the game. They all have um, unique artwork. 
which is different from the anime style. I don't quite like it as much, but it's still pretty cool. Okay. You also, in the underworld, uh, you get some pictures of the dungeon's namesakes. You know, like the first one's eagle, so it shows a little picture of an eagle. But I kind of like that because it's interesting to see, uh, you know, towards the middle, uh-huh. all your uh, your dungeon names are like lizard, dragon, snake, like like whatever. I can't tell what any of this, you know, but you can see the way they drew them kind of looks like the shape of the dungeon. So you can kind of see what they were trying to get at there. Okay. Okay. Oh, that was pretty cool. Yeah, uh, you know, because some of them are just kind of weird, weird blobs that have a name. Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, <laughs> it does come with a, a full walkthrough to level one. Um, it will guide you right there from the start spot, you know, get your sword, pretty much just head north. Um, it also has kind of an incomplete map that'll get you to um, or map two. Okay, now what about uh, any backstory, any descriptions there? Oh, yeah, sure, you get your, uh, you know... Uh, Ganon has Zelda, and, you know, Zelda hid the Triforce, you know, she broke it into eight pieces and hid it. So, it always had me wonder, where I'm like, are these dungeons, like, Zelda's monsters guarding the Triforce? Or is it, like, those monsters are trying to get the Triforce, and you're in there as well? Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Like, or maybe just the boss monsters are hers, and the other monsters are in there trying to, I don't know. Yeah, that's a little, little interesting to think about. It's a little weird, but... Uh, now, you know. I do know that the backstory of this game was written by a manga or uh, anime writer. Oh, yeah? Yes. Uh, you know, thanks to the internet, uh, his name was Kaiji Terui. Oh, okay. And he was brought in just for backstory. Okay. So. Well, you got a little more going, you know, than most games of this uh, vintage. Uh-huh. It also comes with an awesome fold-out map. It's, uh, again, also it's full color and it's two-sided. Um, okay. You have a, an overworld and an underworld side, and uh, the overworld map, it shows you, um, this isn't like a photo map, it's drawn. Right. But now, it, I have memories of this map, but I do know it did not did not last long in uh, my young hands. Uh, mine either, unfortunately. Uh, but it, it reveals about, I would say, 60% of the overworld map. You know, the northwest, northeast corners are both kind of obscured. There's a bunch of screens there, but you can see... Like, you have the corner of the graveyard or these certain areas where I think that combined with a lot of the hints the game gives you, you'd be able to find your way around. And it mm. even has little question marks on uh, screens with secrets hidden. Okay. So that way you can search around and have a better idea of what screens have hidden things in them. Yeah. And it uh, one specific thing I wanted to point out is that there is a question mark in the screen with the entrance to level 7. And oh. eight, so, which are two, you know, those ones are hidden entrances, and those are kind of harder puzzles for people to figure out, I guess, but, mm. well, I mean. I feel like most people had found level eight way early, and then never, never went back. It's but. very possible, but I remember level seven being kind of contentious with people, like, how are you supposed to figure that out? And it's like, well, you know, they, they do point you there several, several different ways. All right. But it also has full pics of all the items, and, um. All the items available in shops it has different, you know, it shows you all the items you can buy. Oh, cool. And you get a neat little, like, uh, a chart kind of thing that shows certain enemies and what items they are more likely or to drop. Like, Oh, really? For the coins, it's got levers and the tektites. And then, like, for bombs, that's where, you know, Moblins, blue tektites. Yeah. Or, I'm sorry, blue octoroks. I saw some very intense uh, graphs online that kind of broke down 
what creatures could drop what, and then like the number of times they would per hundred, and oh wow, okay. just this other. <laughs> it, it got very deep, and I was more than I wanted to go into it. Yeah, this one's not that deep, but, but that's amazing that any level of that was included with the manual. Yeah, it was pretty cool. And then you flip it over to the underworld side, and you get uh, complete maps of levels one and two. Okay, they have all the items you can find in it, and as well as the ones that are revealed by killing enemies. Nice. You get kind of incomplete maps of three and four where it's got like the first three or four rooms in it, but they don't have any details to it. But it's like a start to the way the map looks. Okay. And, you know, you get some like generic dungeon hints and pictures to explain how to bomb. Hmm. Nothing too big, but I mean, you get a sweet manual, you get a sweet map. It gives you a lot to work with. Like, I think that, uh, you know, these are older games, so they, they can't afford to tutorialize you in game like a lot of things do now so you know i think that's why especially with this game it's important to go back look at the the material that the game comes with yeah i mean this is a harder game and they they knew that so therefore they were going to give you the tools you needed to get somewhere yeah but i mean i think they did it in a good way it's not like the infamous you know like if you got dragon warrior from uh nintendo power for free where you got the the guide basically yeah, the book told you how to do everything this one you know it, it gives you some good clues that you can apply later and it just leads you on your way yes sir well folks we're gonna take a little break here and we'll finish the rest of the game on next week's episode yeah, so make sure that, you know, like us, we're going to save our progress here and hold in reset while turning the power off. You know, if you haven't started the game, there is no excuse. You will be able to find a copy of this game on literally half of Nintendo's systems. So grab a copy, find your controllers, play this game any way you can, folks. And remember, guys, if there's anything we missed uh, or stuff we got wrong, let us know at cartridgecommand at gmail.com and we'll get back to you in the future. Yeah, the reason we're doing this two-part episode is because you let us know that that's what you, the fans, wanted. So, Cartridge Commandos, please like us on Facebook at Cartridge Command. Follow us on Twitter at Cart Command. Subscribe to the show on any podcast listening device. Tell a friend. You know, we need to grow the Cartridge Commando army. And if every single listener tells one other person, we can double our listenership. Yes. But we must always... Thank from the bottom of our heart, our wonderful supporters on Patreon, because it's those that give at patreon.com slash cartridge command that make this show possible. Yeah, I mean, I've been burning bushes around my house, but I've yet to find any free money, so we need your help. We do. And as always, cartridge commandos, game on! What was that? I hit that record button thing.